0: The following is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information about Trinity Grace Church, go to www.trinitygracesa.org. Welcome once again to Trinity Grace. So glad you're here, especially if you're a guest this morning. We hope that you experience a warm welcome. Know how difficult it can be trying to find a church home. And we're glad that you're with us this morning. As many of you know, we've been working our way through a series on the gospel of Mark, and our hope is to look at this gospel every Sunday through Easter here at Trinity Grace. You likely know that Mark is the second book of your New Testament. It's also believed to be the earliest recorded gospel out of the four that we have in our Bibles. And as you look at the life of Jesus in the gospels, every once in a while you run across something that Jesus says that leaves you a bit puzzled. Jesus sometimes has an unorthodox way of communicating and interacting with people in the Gospels. He isn't always straightforward. Sometimes he's a bit confusing. In fact, he's oftentimes cryptic in his teaching. And we see this specifically when it comes to the parables that Jesus tells throughout the Gospels. Parables are culturally situated stories with a spiritual point. They're earthly stories with a heavenly meaning is how some people describe parables. We're not looking at them intentionally here on Sunday mornings because we want to save them for a future series potentially. So you'll notice that we're skipping over the parables as we work our way through Mark. But Jesus used parables often. In fact, it was one of his favorite methods of teaching. And the interesting thing about parables is that Jesus uses them so that he might intentionally remain puzzling. So that people might hear his words, but not completely understand exactly what he's saying. Isn't that surprising? In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us why he speaks in parables to the crowds. And the reason is a bit disconcerting at first. Jesus basically says that parables are meant to be confusing. They're used because those who have been given spiritual discernment understand even more by hearing parables, yet those who have not been given spiritual discernment, they simply, these parables simply bring more confusion. So when Jesus speaks in parables, some understood the spiritual point behind the story and some didn't. And in a sense, this method of teaching allowed Jesus to continue his ministry because parables allowed him to grow his followers into a deeper understanding of the truth while keeping the religious leaders at bay, while allowing himself an opportunity to continue living and ministering and teaching. They were effective on on one hand and they were safe on the other. And within the story we're about to read, there's one verse that has the characteristic of a parable. It's a strange saying from Jesus that we get in verse 27. The passage is printed for you in your bulletin. It's really cryptic in meaning. We'll get to it in a second. And we'll see that this woman has deep spiritual understanding by the way that she responds to Jesus in this somewhat confusing passage. It's actually one of the only times, if not the only time, in all four of the Gospels where Jesus actually lets another person win a verbal exchange. He doesn't necessarily, he's not necessarily bested in this passage, but he does yield to a mortal, and it's beautiful. See what I mean? You follow along as I read Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came And fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Well, this is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. I wonder how often these days you talk on the telephone. How often you actually use your voice to talk on whether you have a home phone or whether you have a cell phone. It seems like talking on the phone is becoming more and more rare these days. In fact, if you call somebody, Nowadays, and leave them a voicemail, it's likely that instead of getting a call back, you'll get a text message or an email back in return. Talking on the phone can be really difficult sometimes. You can't pick up on nonverbal cues over the phone. It's hard to know how to properly interact on the phone without seeing the other person. I wonder if you've ever had this experience of talking to another person and you're just talking and sharing and maybe it's an important issue that you're sharing about and the call drops, but you don't realize that the call has dropped and you continue on for seconds, maybe even approaching minutes after the call has dropped, keeping right on talking to the person, thinking that they're listening intently to you. Or maybe you've had the experience where you're talking to the other person and this kind of drives me a little nuts. They're so quiet on the other end that you constantly have to stop and ask, are you still there? And and they respond, yes. And it happens multiple times through the call. It's funny because we've all experienced those things before, but it's not a good feeling when it happens. You kind of feel a little sheepish, a little embarrassed. It's not a good feeling to be talking, maybe sharing something that's really important to you and wonder if anyone is even listening and maybe even come to realize that no one really is listening. That experience isn't unlike the dynamic that we see in our passage this morning. We see a woman and she's coming approaching Jesus because she's got an urgent need. And what we'll see is that she begs Jesus in a continual way, communicating to him what's on her mind, what's most important in her life at the moment. And it's as if Jesus isn't even listening. This passage... While a bit confusing at first, is full of hope as we approach Jesus. If you're looking at your life this morning, most everybody can relate with this. If you're looking at your life this morning and there's this massive need, Maybe it's relational or emotional, physical or spiritual. You have this need that's been on your heart and your mind for a while and it's painful and it's unresolved and you've gone to Jesus with it over and over again and it's like he's not listening to you and you feel like Jesus is being unresponsive to your needs. If you've been through that, then this is a passage for you. If you follow Jesus for any length of time, then you felt this way at one time or another in your life. You know what it's like to plead and plead, yet feel like no one's listening. You felt it when you're pleading with Jesus about your marriage, how you would like to experience more closeness and connection with your spouse, yet it seems like Jesus is not listening. You felt it where you're asking to be relieved from some sort of sickness or disease in your life. You just want to be made well, and you've begged and you've begged, but it seems like Jesus is ignoring you. You felt it where you've asked to be relieved from a particular struggle, maybe crippling loneliness or a besetting sin or temptation, and it seems as though Jesus just wants you to go away. You felt it when you pray that your kids will walk in obedience to God's word and faithfulness, yet you look up and they keep making bad decisions that bring sorrow upon sorrow to their lives, and you begin to wonder, maybe Jesus really isn't attentive. Maybe he's not listening to me. What do you do when there seems to be no help, when God seems to have dropped the call in a sense and isn't listening anymore? When you begin to feel like you might be bothering Jesus with your requests? Well, we've all felt it one way or another. And what this passage teaches us this morning is that even when it doesn't seem like it to us in the moment, when we come to Jesus, he is always compassionately listening. And he's always inclined to mercy and tenderness when he thinks of you. That's what I want you to see this morning. And to see that, we're going to look at this strange passage under three quick headings. Okay? The first, we see an urgent request. Secondly, we see an unusual response. And thirdly, we see an encouraging result. Request, response, result. That kind of alliteration is a gift. It doesn't come easy but I do it for you, okay? (laughs) So first, let's spend a few minutes looking at an urgent request. It's helpful to begin by recognizing what's happening in this passage and who's involved. Our passage, it begins in verse 24 by saying that Jesus went away from the region where he had been. He was in Galilee. That was his home base for ministry, where he really set up shop, where he had been doing amazing things. And he travels about 30 to 35 miles northwest to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon were coastal cities that sat on the Mediterranean Sea. It would have been outside the boundaries of Israel, Gentile territory. Good Jews would have thought about it as pagan land. And in verse 24, it says that Jesus entered a house and didn't want anyone to know where he was. That's a little strange. And without sounding too cavalier, what we see here is that Jesus is taking a beach vacation. He wants to get away in a sense. He's trying to get away from the demands of ministry for a bit, to catch his breath, to get a little rest and relaxation. And to do that, he had to escape away from Jewish territory into Gentile territory where he wouldn't be recognized. So Jesus is there, and we know from Matthew's account, as he tells this same story, that the disciples are with him. And it says at the end of verse 24 that Jesus couldn't be hidden. Like many of us, even on vacation, Jesus can't really escape work. People keep calling. They keep emailing in a sense. And we see in verse 25 that a woman enters the scene. We don't really know much about this woman. We don't know if she was married. We don't know if she had other children. But we do learn that she was a Syrophoenician. She was a Gentile. In other words, she was a person that was born outside of the community of God. And we also learn that she's the mother of a young daughter. And her young daughter is possessed by an unclean spirit or a demon. We need to stop for a minute right there. Because I think we are so prone to just blow past these uh, characteristics in Scripture. We're so quick to just blow past this reality. For us, we've got no real category for what this looks like to be demon-possessed, to be spirit-possessed. And maybe Mark doesn't give us a lot of detail because his original readers would have known exactly what this woman's life was like without having to be told. These aren't made-up characters, As we read the Gospels, they're actually flesh and blood people that walked on this earth in real space and real time. And it was likely that this lady's life was completely turned upside down by this unclean spirit who made its home in her daughter's body. There would have been no normal mother-daughter interactions between them. There would have been no visits to the local market. This girl wouldn't have had friends. Neither of them could experience life normally. This was a real situation that had real devastation. And this lady is urgent. She's an urgent mother coming to Jesus. In a sense, this mom is on a rescue mission. She catches word that there's a miracle worker in her town, in her vicinity. We're not even sure if she's got a fully developed sense of who Jesus is from this passage, but somehow she knows that this man, Jesus, might be able to help. And Like any good mother, she'll do anything to get in front of him for the sake of her daughter. And so she comes... And she falls down at the feet of Jesus and she begs. And the phrase she begged is actually in the imperfect tense. It's the tense of continued action in the Greek language. I'm not a Greek scholar, by the way, but I know just enough where I can kind of interact with Greek scholars. I don't ever want to tell you that I'm something that I'm not. And so uh, just as a caveat, um, imperfect tense, continued action in Greek. It's not past tense. That's the point, okay? Which means she keeps on pleading with Jesus. She kept at it for a while. There's a sense of urgency and even bothering Jesus. And he's not responding. So she keeps on some more. In fact, in Matthew 15, when Matthew tells the story, he recounts how Jesus ignores her. And the disciples encourage Jesus to send this woman away. It's almost as if they grow annoyed with her begging. She's, she's bothering them. She's becoming a nuisance but she keeps at it. She won't stop. If there's any chance that her daughter might be healed, she can't give up. What this woman is doing is what Jesus calls in other parts of the gospels, continual asking and seeking and knocking. She's got a need and she knows that no one else can help her. So she doesn't give up. She bothers Jesus. Even when it seems like no one is listening, she persists. It's an urgent request that we see from this woman. And in verse 27, we see Jesus finally respond. Not quite sure how long this woman had been begging, but Jesus realizes that she's not stopping. So he hits pause on his beach vacation. And he says this, let the children be fed first for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, at first glance, you're reading this for the first time especially, this response doesn't seem to make much sense. What is Jesus saying here? Well, you've got to know a bit about the cultural situation and the mission of Jesus. And as you do, this response becomes more clear. Jesus is referencing the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in this verse. He's basically saying that there's an order to things. I have first and foremost come for the lost children of Israel, is what Jesus is saying. They're my main concern for now. Israel and the Jewish people, they are my mission. And the hope is that once Israel is recaptured back for God, they'll turn and move out to fulfill their original mission of being a light to the nations, of being a blessing to the entire world. It's actually what we see playing out in the book of Acts. Where, Jew, where the gospel proclamation starts in Jerusalem, it starts small and then it moves to Judea and then Samaria, and then it explodes to the ends of the earth. God's intent was always to bring the nations to himself to restore and to renew the entire world. But his intention was to use Israel, the Jewish people, to accomplish that mission. Okay, so in this verse, Jesus is basically saying, you've got to stay in line. You're a Gentile and there's an order here. I've come first for Israel. I've come first for the children that are sitting at my table, and it wouldn't be right to take their blessing, to take their food and give it to you right now. Reaching out to the Gentiles would have been backwards to God's intended plan. And here we have a woman who's an outsider, both ethnically and religiously. She's a Gentile woman who's approaching a Jewish rabbi, begging him for help. She's overstepping every boundary that was in place in that culture. It was completely backwards. So this verse is a bit more packed than we might think at first glance. What's more, Jesus calls her a dog. It's not a term of endearment. It's a term used to refer to outsiders by Jews. Unlike our society and culture, these people were not necessarily canine friendly. They didn't have house pets like we do today. In fact, in other portions of Scripture, you see the term dog used pejoratively. You think of Philippians chapter 3, when Paul calls the Judaizers, those that are teaching false doctrine, he calls them dogs that mutilate the flesh. It was just the way that Jews referred to Gentiles, and Gentiles had names that they referred to Jews that were just as bad. It was a racially charged word in some ways, not unlike some of the racially charged words that we hear thrown around in our culture from time to time. So the question is, why does Jesus participate in this cultural phenomenon? Why is he using racially charged terms like this? This doesn't sound like him. Well, we see from the servant songs in Isaiah that the coming Messiah won't be in the business of smacking people down who need help. We read that he's supposed to be compassionate. The servant song from Isaiah 42 says that a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So why is Jesus doing this? Well, it'd be hard to imagine that Jesus would be doing this without other people like his disciples around. And because it doesn't mesh with who we know Jesus to be in other parts of Scripture and how he's described, it would be safe, I think, to conclude that Jesus is making a point here. He's critiquing a cultural reality by using this word, this racial slur. You see this sometimes in literature and in art. For example, if you've ever read the book or watched the movie, The Help, which is about racism in 1960s Mississippi, it's a really uncomfortable read because you'll encounter racially charged terms in that book and movie. In fact, they're all over the place. It's hard to get through. But the racially charged terms in that movie and in that book, they're used actually very intentionally by the author. They're used to make the audience wince. The author is, not critiquing, is critiquing, not, not confirming the, the, the status quo by using these charged words. And it's what Jesus is doing here, I think. It's not an insult. This is really more of a parable. So Jesus, he answers this woman's urgent request with an unusual response, and he's masterfully communicating the order of God's mission, Jews first, Gentiles second, while also critiquing the religious tension that was being experienced in that day and age. And what would you expect from this woman? This woman, who's in a desperate situation, this woman with a child who she cannot have relationship with, this woman who has flung herself at Christ's feet and constantly begging and bothering him, after the silence, she hears Jesus speak this way, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs like you. What kind of response would you expect from her? This isn't what she wanted to hear. It's not what she expected to hear, likely. And we read her response in verse 28. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. It's unbelievable. Now, there is fake humility, and then there is real deal humility. And this woman is living in trauma. She's taken a huge risk in coming to Jesus He calls her a dog and she doesn't miss a step with her response. She says, okay, granted, but I'd need a crumb. She doesn't get defensive. She doesn't disagree with Jesus. She doesn't stand on her rights. She humbly says, I don't even need the whole loaf. I just need a crumb and I'll be good. Wow. And the response of Jesus is incredible. You don't see it anywhere else in the gospels. It's almost as if he stops playing the game. He's holding his cards close to his chest. He stops, he folds his cards, he throws them on the table, and he pushes the whole stack of chips over to her. It's almost as if he's left speechless. So impressed by the humility and the faith of this poor woman. We see this passage conclude with Jesus saying, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Can you imagine the joy this woman experienced the relief when she walked through her door that day? When she went home, her daughter's in bed with no more drama. She can lean in for a kiss and for a hug and it's finally for the first time in a long time safe. The next morning, if she wants to take her little girl down to the market, she can, and there won't be an incident. Why? Because Jesus, because he is God, because he is king of kings, he's king over nature, he's king over death, he's king over the forces of darkness. And he is inclined to love and to care for people who approach him with deep need and deep humility. As we close this morning, I want to make a few points of application really quickly from this passage. First, you may be someone who's been away from church for a while. Maybe you're getting back involved for the first time after a long time. And you may be looking around at others, maybe even here at Trinity Grace and thinking they just know so much more. I and mean, look at this liturgy, it's 20 pages long. You may feel behind, you may feel left out. With that in mind, think about how great it is that Mark was written for Gentile readers. Those who were not brought up to believe in the God of the Bible. And when this was read to them, the Gentile readers, to think that the Jews didn't get it. Christ's disciples barely understood the parables that he told, but when Jesus is with this Gentile woman with no upbringing in religion, she gets it. And Jesus commends her. And it makes you think, maybe I don't have to know Hebrew. Maybe I don't have to have a multi-generational Christian background of parents and grandparents. Maybe if I just know a little bit, God can do great things in my life. I mean, think about this woman and what she likely knew. Not even his disciples are as far along as this woman. He leaves Jewish territory. He comes to this territory characterized by irreligion and uncleanness. And he finds this woman and she doesn't have the privileges of his disciples. She wasn't brought up being taught about the God of the Bible, but she has the kind of faith that Jesus rarely encounters. She knew Jesus was Lord. She says that but she likely didn't have a developed theology of the person and work of Christ. She knows he helps people. She knows that she can plead with him. She knows that he's great. She knows that he's inclined to give good things. And that may be all that she knew. And this means that you don't have to be the smartest theologian in the room to see God work powerfully in your life. It's great to delve into the Word. It's great to study the Scriptures. It's great if you know your theology. It's great to have believing parents and grandparents and even great-grandparents. But you don't have to have much for Jesus to look at you and smile. This woman couldn't have known that we'd be sitting here, a group of mostly white Gentiles being encouraged by her faith and her trust. And she couldn't have even seen what we get to see about Jesus and how he finally accomplishes this mission of reaching the Gentiles and exploding the gospel worldwide. She didn't see it like us that on the cross, the true and perfect child of God for a time was thrown away. He was cast away from God's table without a crumb so that those of us who are not children like her could be adopted and brought in. In other words, God's child, his only son, had to become a dog so that we could become sons and daughters that are invited to the table. This Gentile woman is teaching us that we don't get anything from Jesus on the basis of our goodness, our upbringing, our pedigree. Instead, we get what we don't deserve on the basis of God's goodness towards us. Knowing that we can come to Jesus... This passage is encouraging us to ask, and it will be given. To seek, and you will find. To knock, and the door will be open to you. Let's do that and not give up. As a group here at Trinity Grace. Let's be a group who asks and seeks and knocks and does not stop. Because Jesus is good, and he is inclined to you and me, and he is very generous. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord God, we thank you for this passage that reminds us of your generosity towards us. We thank you for the fact that you are one who brings foreigners to your table and you feed us with a feast that we could not even comprehend when we first approached you. Pray, Lord, that we would experience that even this morning as we come to your table and feast on your body given for us and your blood shed for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.